0: Turn up your volume, because you're about to listen to The Sick Podcast, with Tony Marinero. Sports entertainment like no other. It's going to be sick. Brought to you by Essentia, the world's only natural memory foam mattress. Beyond organic sleep.
1: Marinaro, the sick podcast, and at the time of this recording, Thursday night, we still don't know who the Montreal Canadiens are going to play. Is it going to be the Colorado Avalanche, or is it going to be the Vegas Golden Knights? Anyway, it doesn't matter. Cup, Eric Engels of Sportsnet, how are you?
2: I'm doing good, Tony. This is uh, kind of a rare thing. I don't think we've been on the air together for at least a dozen years, so... This is fun. We have talked before, but you're right. We
1: haven't been on the air together in over a decade for sure. Welcome to the SICK Podcast. And what I'm hoping will be uh, a one of several appearances by you, because obviously I appreciate your work, because if I didn't, you wouldn't have received the invite. So thank you for accepting. The SICK Podcast is brought to you by Essentia, the world's only natural memory foam mattress. Go to pod and see why Essentia Is the mattress of choice for many athletes, including over 25% of professional hockey players. Use code SICKPOD for a free pillow with your purchase, Essentia, beyond organic sleep. Eric, I would imagine that whether it's Colorado or Vegas, they're going to take the Montreal Canadiens very seriously going forward. But do you think the Canadians kind of put Toronto or Winnipeg or critics, naysayers around the league, you think they kind of put them to sleep up until this point?
2: Yeah, I don't think there's any question, you know, it's not a by chance or by hazard that the Canadians have been successful in the playoffs so far. And yeah, it didn't start well, and I think a lot of people in Toronto are looking at the Leafs crumble job and just saying it was all them. You know, the Canadians were by far the better team over the last 3 games of that series and the 4 games against Winnipeg, they looked like the only team on the ice. That's how well they were playing. And when you see a team come together the way they have, when you see four lines going with each one of them having a clear identified role and everyone buying into their role and everyone playing for the team and the coach able to roll out the balance and the confidence swelling, you know, I look at the Canadians and look at the way they played. And I'm saying to myself, if they play that way, they can beat anyone, including a couple teams that everyone would look at and say, you know, they're, go- they're like lambs going to the slaughter here and no discrediting what Vegas and Colorado are all about. They are two of the best teams. They are the two best teams in the league right there with Tampa Bay, I would say. And, it's going to be a huge, monumental challenge for the Canadians, but I wouldn't put it past them, not if they keep playing this way. You know,
1: Eric, this happens often, and every time I marvel at the, um, the fine line there is between winning and losing and actually going far and being eliminated early on. Here we are, the Montreal Canadiens are on their way to the semis, and Toronto scores in overtime in Game 5. The Canadians are out. Toronto scores in overtime in game six. The Canadians are out. As it turns out, Nick Suzuki scores game five overtime. Yes, very scores game six overtime. And the Montreal Canadians win game seven by a score of three to one. They win the last three games and they go on and then they go on to sweep the Winnipeg Jets. But that fine line case in point, the Boston Bruins, when they won the cup in 2011, right, Eric? They beat the Montreal Canadians in game seven overtime. Canadians score in overtime. There's no Stanley Cup. Claude Julien is fired from the Boston Bruins. They don't. As it turned out, it was Nathan Horton that scored in overtime. Boston beat Montreal, and it ended up being their toughest series en route to the Stanley Cup.
2: Yeah, no, the the margins are so thin. The rays are thin, but I think you're bringing up a really valid point, which is that even if you have all the assets and all the pieces and a team that looks primed to go, you need so many things to go right for you. You need a bounce here or there. You need a John Tavares, unfortunately, going down or a Mark Shifley doing something stupid and taking a suspension that removes him from the equation. Um, you know, when you get something like that happen, you have to take advantage of it. That's the difference. And I think the Canadians, you know, they, they have that killer instinct because they have look up, look up and down their room. You know, I'm not the only one. I'm sure you were talking about it on your show throughout the year. I'm sure there was a lot of people like us that felt that the Canadians were built for the playoffs. Now there was a 10 game sample that we saw that made us think, yeah, we're probably right about that. The problem is we never saw anything beyond that to be able to stake a claim that, okay, they're going to go in and they're going to upset Toronto. I was the only person at Sportsnet that chose them to lose in seven games to the Leafs. I will say that I did believe that they had a good chance to win if they won game one. Kind of the same thing against Pittsburgh last year, ironically. But, uh, you know, it, it, I, I was just looking up and down their lineup and what's in their room, and I've been walking into their room for 14 years, and before this whole COVID thing, know a lot of these guys quite well. And the character that Marc Bergemae likes to talk about so much is, is there. And yeah. you see the pieces that were added. That character is only grown, and and that veteran experience is so essential. But yeah. the energy, coupled with the energy of the youth, and then the middle guys who are kind of the jam of this team, whether it's Gallagher, Toffoli, Charot, Beno, Edmondson, you know that that little core that's right in the middle, bridging these two entities, is the strength of the Canadians right now. And yeah. um, you just see they're they're a full team. I was uh, I was a
1: roller coaster during the series versus Toronto because. I, too, chose Toronto to beat Montreal in seven before the playoffs started. I will say this. The second John Tavares went down, I said Montreal will beat Toronto in seven. Then Toronto went up 3-1. I thought the Canadians were done. So, (laughs) but, uh, you know, as it turns out, they played great. But, you know, Eric, what I keep thinking about, and it's incredible, I keep thinking about when Mark Bergevin met members of the media uh, to talk about the firing of Stefan Waite, the former goalie coach. and. We were on him back then, and I was—I remember asking a question saying, I mean, how disappointed are you in Carey Price? I mean, his play is up and down, up and down, up and down from season to season. You don't know what you're going to get from month to month. You don't know what you're going to get. You get either the two extremes. You get one of the guys that looks like the best goalie in the world, or you get one of the guys that has 40 or 50 goalies actually having better stats than him. But it not it incredible, and not that, we're surprised because everyone knows what Price's ability is. It's just frustrating when it's not out there more consistently. But isn't it incredible what we were talking about three months ago when it came to Price and what we're seeing now? What a yeah, there's turnaround.
2: A, there's an incredible paradox when it comes to carry Price, too, because during the regular season, you said it, you don't know what you're going to get. And yet when the playoffs start, you're almost saying to yourself, He's, he's going to be exactly who you expect him to be. There's It's it's a very strange paradox. And my older brother has a theory on it, and i, I got to give him credit because I don't think he's wrong about this. I think, you know, Kerry feeds on the adrenaline and, and gets into the hyper-focus mode when the moment becomes that much larger, and maybe the regular season just doesn't do it for him, doesn't put him in that mode. I mean, I think it seems pretty clear when you see a three-year trend where, He's okay in October. He's unrecognizable in November. And then from, you know, January to the end of the year, as they're making a push, he's one of the best goalies in the league. And then the playoffs come around if he's in them and he's the best goalie in the playoffs to me. Look, I've, I've been watching this guy. First of all, I've been covering Carey Price since his first day in a uniform for this team. I have watched him in practice on a daily basis for, you know, I've been covering the team for 14 years. There's no one who can tell me that there's a better goalie in the world than this guy. And that's why when it doesn't work out in the regular season, it's, it's such a head scratcher. You just, you can't understand it because when you watch him do what he does in practice, I, I, if the fans had the access that we do to see that so few of them would doubt what his competitive spirit is, what he's capable of doing, what he's, what, what, what he actually is. Cause I don't think there's a better goalie in the world. And personally, having been exposed to that side of it and been around him and gotten to know him about as well as you can get to know him and how guarded he is. Like I've, I've in my life have never seen a better goaltender. Like I, I, I loved on the cassock. I know about Ken Dryden. I, I watched Patrick Waugh hit my entire childhood. The the toolbox that Carey Price has on top of what he has upstairs up here, I've never seen a goalie that's as good as Excellent
1: photo. A shout out to them. Centrally located close to downtown shopping and university ships to all of Canada. Professional staff at the store and online to help you choose the gear you really need. He is Eric Engels of Sportsnet. I'm Marinero. Excellent photo.ca. shout out to them. Wow. He's never seen a goalie like Carey Price. Uh, and I got to tell you, so I've always said this too. I said, so at their most dominant, I believe the best goalie I've ever seen in my life is Dominic Kasek, at his most dominant, all right? That's my pick, with all due respect to Patrick Waugh, who probably had the best career out of all of them, okay? And uh, with all due respect to Marty Bruder, But I've had the privilege on a couple of occasions of actually sitting front row at the Bell Center. And on those occasions where I sat front row, front row I, I, I one of the things I did was I said, I want to really focus on Carey Price. Eric his movements, for his, his lateral movements, his overall technique. I was lucky enough those times that I was sitting in that front row to see a Carey Price who was really on his game. He was at his best. And I got the feeling watching those games that if it wasn't going to be deflected and he was going to see it, he was going to stop every single puck he was going to face. And he's playing like that this year in the playoffs where if he's getting beat with the exception of Logan Stanley scoring one the other night or maybe even two that he'd probably rather have back. But,
2: I mean, he's he's pretty much been as close to perfect as you can get. Kerry's uh, superpower is his patience. And I once had a conversation with him saying, you know, no one would ever compare you to Dominic Cassick You guys are poor opposites in terms of your style. But Dominic Cassick yeah. used to like – and even Patrick used to do this too – you still like to show you blocker and take it away. You still like to show you glove, take it away. Show you five hole, take it away. I said, can you still do that in today's game? And he said, yeah. nowadays, third and fourth liners shoot as well as top six forwards. They change the angles on their shots. They all have the sticks that are capable of doing it. The equipment has evolved. The athletes themselves have evolved to a point that if you guess, they're absolutely screwed. And so his superpower truly is his patience and his own belief in his technical ability his athleticism and it's even more impressive to me because of the fact that his anticipation ability is so much stronger than just about any other goalie in the league he can guess what's going to happen out there he's got such a good hockey sense and if you want a sample of it you know watch him stop a rim around with one hand on his stick like he knows where the puck is going where it's going to be at all times he, he has an incredible sense the fact that he it would be the easy thing to rely on that. Yeah. But the fact that he instead relies on his technique and his athleticism and his movement to make such hard saves look so easy, and and he's never going to look like Marc-Andre Flurry, who will make highlight-real save after highlight-real save because he will never put himself in a position where he has to. He may make one save like that every once in a while, and if you ask him about it, you say, you know, what was your favorite save in the game? He'll tell you. It's the one that hit me right in the crest. So, you know, it tells you a lot about his mentality, the way he approaches the position. And when I say that, I think he's the best. He's the best, still the best in the world, even at his age of 33, and even with the crappy regular seasons and the ups and downs. Like Vasilevsky is six seven and the most athletic goaltender you will ever see. His speed is freakish. It is yeah. so incredible how fast he is in his net. But he does not have that that intimidation factor that price has no because everyone that comes down and shoots on price can see that he's always in the right spot he's square and he's not moving he's not biting. he's not guessing and when when you can really tell when he's going to struggle because when you start to see him move and start to do a few things that and you know it's going to be problem and and it's going to take him time to get back to his yeah so it's such a strange paradox Tony it's it's weird man. And
1: Vasilevsky has a couple of things that Carey Price don't have. One is a Norris Trophy defenseman in front of him, and Carey Price doesn't have that luxury. Number two is an all-round better team, and number three is a quick-strike offense that these guys, you know, Tampa Bay could score four goals just like that in a hockey game, and Montreal, the goals don't always come as easily as Tampa Bay. Follow us on Instagram, Facebook, and Twitter. It's The Sick Podcast. I'm Marinero. He's Eric Engels of Sportsnet. When you see the way Carey Price is playing right now, you see the way the Canadians are playing and the fact that Canadians are on their way to the semis here, is it safe to say that those huge decisions that Mark Bergevin took, relieving Claude Julien of his duties, relieving Kirk Muller of his duties, relieving Stefan Waite of his duties, albeit we don't know if the Canadians would have still been here with those guys in place, but we do know that they're not here and they're they're in the semis. Is it safe to say that Bergevin got it right?
2: Well, look, I I think all of us looked at the offseason that he had and the moves that he made, and when I say all of us, you, me, the fans, everyone, and you have to credit him for the job he did. He didn't only just get guys because he was able to take advantage of the situation. He got guys that specifically filled holes that he had, made an evaluation on Suzuki and Cockney and felt that they were ready to take a step forward, potentially... In terms of being able to raise their game, that was what his evaluation was based on. Now, obviously, it was a struggle for Kotkaniemi, and Suzuki had a struggle halfway through the season where you were wondering, you know, is he still going to be able to recapture his game and find that level again? But both those guys proved one thing last year, which is that when the games matter and become more important, they can play at another level. And that was the big thing. But it wasn't just that. You know, Mark made a pretty good evaluation on what Shea Weber was doing and what Kerry Price did. And I think when you look at this season, like Weber, okay, like Weber takes a lot of heat for the way he played this year. And understandably, you know, there, there were times where he just didn't have his game. I think he was playing hurt for quite a bit of it, um, especially when you see the way he was handing over pucks. And, and kind of, it wasn't really his legs that were failing, his hands were failing him, you know, more often than not. But Weber and Schrott and Edmondson and all these guys and Petrie, playing in a division where if you're not thinking defense first, like you're going to get torched. I mean, McDavid, Dreisaitl, Shifley, uh, Pedersen, Matthews, Marner, every night playing against those guys. Calgary obviously flopped on their faces. And Ottawa sure. was going to be a hard out for everyone. So bring it all roundabout to may You know, he made all these moves and took a 24th place team and had them wire to wire in the playoffs all season long despite all their struggles, they never fell out of a spot. So, you know, I, I think I was giving him a lot of credit for his off season when his off season came and going into the season, there was a groundswell of excitement and the way they started the year, it was like, if it, if it goes wrong, if, if a million things start going wrong, how could you really blame him for it? You know, like you could blame coaching. You could blame the players not performing to their ability, yeah. but like how are the finished with, Twenty-eight goals this season. Yeah, uh, Josh Anderson had seventeen, but played like a freight train for three quarters of his game. Yeah, and sometimes he was, you know, banged up a little bit. Joel Edmondson was if he finished top three or top four in the league in plus-minus and was leading the category for all the season. And I know people think plus-minus is a bit of a bullshit stat, but yeah, it's it's not when you are leading the league in the category. Yeah, uh, and then Jake Allen, you know, without him, the Canadians don't make the playoffs. And Corey Perry was tremendous, and got, yeah. he came here for, for free, basically. So I was thinking, is this really on mark if it doesn't go the way it's supposed to go? I mean, he he did all the things he could have done to a 24th-place team and brought them to here, and he felt they were built for the playoffs. I felt they yeah. were built for the playoffs. I just I wish they had provided a bit more evidence that I could have leaned into that a little more as we went along. But I think he's done he's done a good job, Tony.
1: Eric, you know, I'm going to say this. Before the playoffs started, uh, right here on the Sick Podcast, I went on a little bit of a rant, and it was actually picked up and, and put out there on social media by Paul Wilson, VP of Media Relations for the Montreal Canadiens, where I said that you, say whatever you want, but I thought that this was a year that Mark Bergevin did absolutely everything in his powers to put the Canadians in a position to succeed. And for the first time, I was, or you know, maybe not the first time, but I was really going to lay off the GM and and I was putting it all on the players. And I was saying, you know what? And I was taking it away from Dominic Ducharme. And I was taking it away from Mark Bergevin. I was saying, now it's up to the players. The players have to go out there and perform. And not a lot of people agreed with me. Some did and some didn't, but now you take a look at the team and the results. And I think I was right to say, you know what? Bergevin did a good job. And, and you know, a lot of people take issue, if I say that about Bergevin, that he's done a good job because they still can't forget the first six years and some of the shortcomings, and they still can't forget the fact that Canadians didn't win the Stanley Cup in great in year seven or year eight either, right? But I've said this before, and I'll say it again. I believe in the last three years, dating back to when they traded Galchenyuk for Domi, from that moment to present day, the job that Mark Bergevin has done is that of a top three GM in hockey for that three year window. And I wouldn't have a problem if you'd put him at one or two. So, so we're in year nine, right? We're in year nine. And I believe, I believe I pardon me if I can, just finish. I believe yeah. that he was learning on the job, even though he had a plethora of experience, but none as a general manager, and it's not an easy thing in Montreal. I believe he went through some growing pains, but in the last three years. He's become a very, very good GM. Your
2: thoughts? First five years, he almost did nothing wrong. Like, you couldn't find one thing he did that was not a good move. For a year and a half in between, he made a lot of the wrong ones. And, you know, his ego got in the way of certain decisions and certain negotiations. A couple of bad talent evaluation moments that were kind of off kilter that you scratch your head at, specifically going to... 2017 playoffs and and the trade deadline and everything that happened around there. Um, The offseason that followed that was terrible, uh, admittedly terrible. And Mark admitted himself that he overestimated what he thought he had done and underestimated what the losses would mean in terms of Radulov and Markov and what he was willing to do. And from the minute that he got an opportunity to reset, that Jeff Molson extended that opportunity to him. The Canadians have stocked up one of the consensus top five prospect pools in hockey. They have drafted the only team that's drafted more players than them, I believe is the Detroit Red Wings. Um, and they have put together a team that not only is competing right now with all the veterans that they have in the culture that they've turned around here uh, like I have so much respect for Shea Weber, honestly. I, I know why Mark gushes about him. I've gotten to know him really, really well, and he's just—he's—he's he's just an unbelievable guy. It's all the things that people say about Shea Weber in praise of him. Uh, you cannot possibly undersell him. He's—he's he's, such a huge part of what this is. But you look at the individual trades and everything that's happened since, and look at the position the Canadians are in. They're competing right now, and look at what their future is. You know that there is a lot of good players on their way there are players that have arrived right now that are already making an impact and all the draft picks are in the kitty like you know you will be proven right um i will be proven right too Uh, toronto fans wanted to dunk on me because after 10 games i said think about how many things would have to go wrong for Mark Bergevin to not be unanimously considered GM of the year by his by his peers. And so many things went wrong that were out of his control and not his fault, which was my point in saying that. I was exaggerating a little bit, but Toronto fans were dunking on me during the Toronto series. And I would put money down right now that Mark Bergevin will one hundred percent be a finalist for GM of the year. And it would not surprise me one iota if he wins if he wins that award.
1: Yeah. It's a sick podcast. He's Eric Engels of SportsNet. I'm Marinaro. Go to sportbuffshop.com for all of your officially licensed sports apparel and more. Use code Six Fifteen 15 for 15% off on all of their items. All right. Uh Jeff Molson says to you, Eric, I think I'm gonna extend Mark Bergevin and Dominic Ducharme three years apiece. You say what?
2: I say those decisions were probably made already. And um I do believe that that those offers are on the table for Marc Bergevin and, and I don't know what the length would be for Dominic Ducharme but I think he's clearly earned himself an extension. Uh, the real question for me is whether or not Marc Bergevin wants to continue in his role as GM. Ten years is a long time in that role. Uh, we've seen it age him obviously. I did an interview with him a couple of years ago where he talked about how difficult it was in the heat of the moment of that rough patch where you know, he was having trouble with his job. and you know, he said to me very openly that he closed himself off to people at a time, you know, he was always friendly if they came up and said something to him, but he felt personally that he closed himself off. And that was a real admission um, because we're talking about a guy who's outwardly funny and has a sense of humor and is known for that. And I've heard your interviews with him and it certainly comes out uh, when, when, you know, I think you get him in that mood, which is fun and you challenge him too. And, And I think he likes that. And I think he likes getting his shots in and but you can see how much it's worn on him, and how could it not? It, it is tremendous pressure that he faces on a daily basis, and I, I think Tough I wonder job. if this I wonder if this run has reinvigor, reinvigorated him. I, yeah. I don't know how he felt going into the playoffs, but I can't imagine. You know, I, I think he would have been, really been wrestling with with the concept of continuing on beyond next season, which he's already under a contract for. So it is.
1: Um, Hold on a second. It's a, it's a hard had- job. And I know you're saying there's more of a chance that he'd sign an extension now than there would have been a couple of months ago. I got that.
2: but I think it's in his hands. That's what I'm saying.
1: I think think he extends no questions because knowing him, and I know him a little bit, not that much, we never went out to supper, we never went out to lunch, he never had me over. But knowing him a little bit, uh, having a couple of conversations with him, I think he's going to do this job as long as he can do it if he hasn't brought a cup to Montreal. So if he does bring a Stanley Cup to Montreal and then, you know what? uh, Let's just say they win the cup this year, right? I still believe he'll sign the extension. But then in three, four years from now, if there's another extension that's offered, well, because he's won a cup here, then at that point I could see him saying, no, thanks. You know what? I've done my time. But um, as long as he hasn't won a cup here, Mm -hmm. I I think that he'll – he wants to win a Stanley Cup here. He was born here. This is the team that he cheered for. He was a Montreal Canadiens fan. He loved Guy Lafleur. He watched the Canadians win Stanley Cups. He went to the parade. So, I have uh, two thoughts. I yeah. have two
2: thoughts. Offer might be on the table, but he's suddenly in a, a much bigger leverage uh, stance. So that's one thing. Everything's a negotiation. Um, and the second thing is, it wouldn't necessarily surprise me if... He felt that it was time to move on from his role as GM, but potentially take another role that's above that. Um, and that would that would keep him a little bit more under the radar uh, and have still have the same control, essentially, that, that he holds. I'm, I haven't heard anything to that extent. I don't want people to think that I'm just reporting this is all going to happen. And I don't know that he necessarily has a contract extension sitting in his desk. But I do believe those conversations have been had, and I do believe that his future is very much in his own hands. And he's got a lot to contemplate and think about, but one thing that people should consider is that everything is a negotiation, and negotiations are about leverage. And right now, um, as the Canadians continue on this run, the leverage is very much falling in his favor.
1: I'm going to give you a prediction before the start of next season. Mark Bergevin signs a contract extension as general manager with the Montreal Canadiens. All right, an ending. And once again at the time of this recording, it's Thursday night, we still don't know who the Montreal Canadiens are going to play in the semis. Should they play Colorado? Who do you got?
2: I'm not going to bet on the Canadiens, but I am going because the Canadiens would not be favored against either one of these teams. But I am going to say that if they continue to play the way they're playing, if they can continue to do that and if Carey Price can steal a couple games because I think there's no question no matter who their opponent is, he will have to do that. I would. I would not bet against them. That's what All I would right. say. Who would you rather see them play? I'd love to see them play Vegas. You know what? Like I just think Pacioretty. I, I Patrety is interesting. Suzuki, the storyline for sure. Yeah. But I just think the styles of both teams, the physicality, the speed, uh, the energy, the the team togetherness of Vegas, and the same kind of dynamic with Montreal. I think it would be a great series. And Price versus Flurry is the goal pending battle. It's something that I can wrap my hands around a little more. Now, if the Avalanche were the Quebec Nordiques still, I think my answer would be pretty easy. But And, and I think the Avalanche it would be a great series too. But I, I really think that Vegas-Montreal would just be unbelievable. You are going to join me again going forward? Absolutely, sure. Thank you. We'll do it live from the parade. You just send me the mattress, all right? <laughs> all right. Thank you.
1: Appreciate it. Eric Engels, thank you very much, my friend. All right. There you have it. There's Eric Engels of Sportsnet and Sportsnet.ca. All right. It's now time to make a little bit of money. Money. Money, money,
0: money, money, money. Money, 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 money. It's time for Sick Bits. Brought to you by bookie.
1: And you can place your bets on my bookie. Go to mybookie.ag slash the sick podcast and use code sickpicks for a fifty percent deposit bonus. Bet, win, get paid. He's my buddy Cash. You can follow him and run my bets. Cash, make me some.
3: What's up, Tony? What's up, guys? Coming off a tough loss last night, guys. We set on Nikola Jokic over 29 and a half points. That was an easy winner. He had 24 points at the end of the third quarter. Unfortunately, Denver was down 30 points. Didn't see the didn't see the court for the rest of the game. He would have finished at 35 to my estimation. I'm bouncing back heavy guys. I'm giving you guys two picks. First pick, lightning and the Islanders game one. Give me the lightning regulation time win. You're going to be able to get it minus 110 odds. It's a great, great bet. Great odds. The lightning are automatic on the power play right now, guys uh if the islanders draw any penalties which i know is not likely they're a pretty disciplined team but if they do the lightning will score give me the lightning game one guys give me them on the power play give me them in regulation i don't see this one going over time uh minus 110 against a solid payout bet number two atlanta hawks philadelphia 76ers game two guys Embiid has been putting on a massacre he's been putting on a show on these guys 40 40 41 points 39 points uh the over is at 32 and a half guys this is like stealing candy from a baby take this bet Put a big bet on Embiid. I want you guys to, to lay heavy on this. I'm going big on this bet tomorrow, guys. The Hawks don't have anybody to stop him. Clint Capella isn't a good matchup for him. He's going to put up another 40. I just don't see anything changing, guys. Get to the window. Get these tickets booked. Let's get this cash.
1: Thank you, Cash. And we'll end it with this. Ça sent la coupe, baby. Ça sent la coupe. Ça sent la coupe, baby. Let's go. Let's go. Ta-ta-ta-ta-ta-ta. Ta-ta-ta. ta ta na 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 I'm Marinero, The Sick Podcast. Follow us on Instagram, Facebook, and Twitter at The Sick Podcast until we do it again next time. Ciao. Take it easy.
0: And that's a wrap. Hope you don't miss us too much until next time. Follow The Sick Podcast on YouTube, Instagram, Facebook, Google Play, and Apple Podcasts. The Sick Podcast is brought to you by Essentia the world's only natural memory foam mattress beyond organic sleep.